Wow, Cindy and I are away today. We're in South Jersey, Williamstown, at the Abundant Living Church, Four Square Church, Pastor Ken and Kim Albert. We've been ministering there since 2000. We've seen the church through some highs and lows, and we've kept our commitment there this year to be with them uh, for special meetings at special times. Matter of fact, I preached Friday night and last night, and then this morning, and then tonight, and then we come home tomorrow. So I'll be here Wednesday night for our study and revival, and of course, next Sunday, is communion, baptism, and we're going to pick up on the Believer's Spiritual Journey, delivered from darkness into light. It's going to be great. And uh, it's hard to be away because I'm pretty excited about, about the emails I've been getting. And some of you text me and just say, you know, continue on and the messages are great and we're going somewhere. And so it's a real great encouragement. One of the encouraging things for a pastor when he goes away is to know that the pulpit because I was raised to believe it's a it's a sacred responsibility to go to that pulpit. It's an awesome responsibility. It's the way I was raised and discipled. And wow, I know that while I'm here in New Jersey, someone as competent and as sincerely able to communicate the Word of God as Pastor David Slentz is there in my place. That does mean a lot today. I prayed for you this morning, but I want you to know it means a lot today that Pastor David is going to talk to you and talk about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit in, in bringing us into this new birth and into spiritual realm and into the things of God. I know you're going to enjoy it. He's got a different set of notes. Uh, in case you're saying, well, what about my notes for my book? Well, we got to, we'll, we'll get you the next next week on the 3rd. Pastor David has some different notes that may be in the bulletin or he'll hand out. But one thing is, just know that we are going somewhere together as a family on, a spirit, on our spiritual journey together. So now here's Pastor David Slentz, and we'll see you next week. Amen. I don't have the high-tech multimedia of a whiteboard, but I'll use this if it's okay. This is my companion, a flannel board. It's... it's uh, Now, I just want you to know that I actually drew that myself. I did. Did this when I was in California before I was even married, so this is old. I was out there in the 80s pastoring a church at the time, and this whole idea of a spiritual journey to me is exciting, and just got so excited. This is something that has been a part of my life, actually, since the year I got saved, and it was a teaching that was given to me in the very beginning and just opened up so many things about the Christian life. It's just basically the journey of Israel from Egypt to Canaan. And I like to highlight three specific places. Uh, first of all, uh, the first experience being Passover, another experience, a key, we can call a watershed experience uh, at the Red Sea right there when they crossed over. And uh, then down here at Mount Sinai, three separate experiences, three uh, unique things that we're going to look at. But this whole picture of Egypt to Canaan is a, what the Bible, what theologians call a type. Probably a better explanation, a uh, simpler explanation. In fact, a word the Bible actually uses is the word shadow. In the book of Hebrews, it says these things are shadows. Now, if you see a shadow on the ground uh, of, of, a, of a bird going by, what do you do when you see the shadow? 
you follow where the light's coming from, and you say, oh, there's a bird, right? All of these things that we see in the Old Testament, they're shadows for us. Some of them are more specific, more clear. For this, I believe, is probably one of the clearest, most detailed shadow that we have, along with the tabernacle. And when we see the shadow, it's not a matter of us getting caught up in what the shadow is all about. It's looking and allowing the light, allowing our eyes to follow where the light's coming from, and we can see the reality, which is in Christ. Can you say amen? As they often say, the Old Testament is Jesus concealed, and the New Testament is Jesus revealed. So this whole picture of our spiritual journey has a lot to teach us. It's a, it is a journey, and we are going someplace. How many feel that push from behind us? How many feel that nowadays, right? You feel like some, something's you know, pushing us forward faster. It's time to move. And the, the goal that we have uh, is he... And this is an interesting verse in Deuteronomy 6. We don't have to look at it, but it says this. In Deuteronomy 6.23, he brought us out. This is Moses speaking. He brought us out to do what? To take us in. Take us in. And as Pastor Dennis has made it very clear, the kingdom of God is not referring to some heaven by and by and a sweet glory. That's part of God's eternal kingdom. Jesus said, don't say the kingdom's here or there or someplace else. The kingdom of God is right here. It's right here. It's an experience. It's the realm that God has for us. It's the government of God. And so it's something that God wants us to enter in now. Getting into Canaan, I mean, there's songs that sing, this is like heaven to me. I've crossed over uh, Jordan into Canaan's fair land. This is like heaven. Canaan doesn't look much like heaven. There are actually seven nations there and 31 kings, and all of them are pretty bad dudes, okay? Uh, they're, they're pretty messed up. They got iron chariots and walls up, all kinds of things. So I don't think that's going to be in heaven. What's taking place in Canaan is this is the life God has called us to. We heard about that, and he spoke to us a bit in prophecy today about the battles that we're facing. How many know that's true, right? So it's a spiritual journey. We need to know our goal. And uh, I'd like you to see in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. I want us to, we can just look that up. 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 10. Actually, the whole of chapter 1 is talking something so interesting. The two key words Pastor Dennis has been sharing is seeing, entering. Seeing and entering. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he can't even see the kingdom. Unless a man is born of water and of the Spirit, he can't enter. There's a difference between seeing and entering. And in 1 Peter, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, it talks about the promises he's given us. It talks about things God wants to do in our life. He wants us to be partakers of the divine nature. It talks about the precious, exceeding great precious promises that are in God's word. And it talks about adding this to our life and add this characteristic and add this char- It gives a whole list of characteristics. And I want to make something very clear first of all. If you and I are only adding Christian characteristics to our life, then all we're doing is orn- putting ornaments on a Chris- Christmas tree. That's all we're doing. The only way those things can be worked into our life, and this is the thing we're going to touch on, on the, the importance of the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit working these in our lives. And, and in verse 10, after saying all of those things, Peter says this, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent about his calling. He called us out, didn't he? 
and his choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. And look at verse 11. For in this way, let's read this verse together. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. And we're not just talking about getting into heaven abundantly. When we die, we go, we're going to be in heaven. The thief on the cross, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. This entrance into that kingdom life will be abundantly supplied when we know what God has called us to, where he's called us out of, and where he's taken us. Go to the next uh, PowerPoint slide. And I want to show you where it begins. The journey begins with the blood. How many thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ? Without the blood of Jesus, there's no forgiveness of sins. I want you to see a verse. Let's look at this. Exodus 12, verse 13. And it says this. The blood. This is now. This is the, this is Bob, Moses is there in Egypt. We've, they've already had uh, nine plagues on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh keeps hardening in his heart. This is the final plague. This is the Lord's Passover. Remember the story. And and uh, they were supposed to go out on the 10th day of the month and search for a lamb without spot or blemish. And they would choose that lamb, and that lamb on the 14th night of the month would be sacrificed. They would, be, they would kill the lamb, and there was a procedure they had to go through, the way they cooked it, with fire, with bitter herbs. But they would take its blood. They would take the blood of that lamb and put it upon the doors of their house. And this is what God says he's going to do. It says this, verse 13, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. Read this part with me, if you can see it there. And when I see the blood, say that again. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Think about that. When God sees the blood, when he looks at you, when he looks at me, we have all of our idiosyncrasies and all kinds of situations in our life, but he sees the blood. Can you thank God for that today? <laughs> oh, the blood, the precious blood. When that blood covers us, Oh, it's a wonderful, that, that's the beginning of that new birth experience when the blood washes away our sins and he looks on us, he sees the blood. Even now, where you're at, in your homes, he sees the blood. Say that with me, when I see the blood. That's where it began, right there at Passover. And the very, uh, another very important part, and this goes right along with this idea of journey, and that's in verse, I believe it's verse 10 we want to go to, in verse 10 uh, of Exodus 12. Just back up a little bit. And it says this, and you sh- they had to eat the Passover lamb. Now listen how they had to eat it. You shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it, until morning, you're going to burn it with fire. So if you don't finish eating the whole thing, you've got to burn it. Verse 11, now, you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girt about, with sandals on your feet, with your staff in your hand. Read these last parts, last part with me. And you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Because what were they going to do the moment the past, he passed over them. The moment the Lord saw the blood and passed over, what did they have to do? They had to get ready for the journey. Everybody say, I'm getting ready for the journey. <laughs> That's where we're going. They had to go someplace. You know, there's a lot of people that they experience the wonderful salvation of the blood of Jesus, their sins forgiven, and then they just sit around 
talking about it the rest of their life. Now, wasn't that a wonderful experience we had way back when? Uh-uh. And eating that lamb, that's Jesus. He said, yeah, eat of my flesh, drink of, eat of him, take of him, partake of him. Whatever's left over when that final morning comes, well, it has to be burned by fire. I don't want to miss out eating any part of Jesus. How about you? I want the whole lamb. How many are hungry for the whole lamb? Oh, no, brother, I, I just eat the white meat. That's, that's, that's all I want. You know, all the dark meat for me. No. How many say, I'm going to eat the whole lamb? I want all of Jesus. Amen? Let's go to the next slide. And bringing you to the next part of the journey. And this is, this is important. When they came to Mount Sinai, I mean, what happened here? I've got to say one more thing about the Red Sea here. You know, Pastor Dennis said, unless a man is born again, he can't see the kingdom. What I want you to understand, I just don't have time to look at it, but at the Red Sea, when they came out of those waters at the Red Sea, they were able to see something they hadn't seen before. Literally, in Exodus 15, they began to see, hey, the Lord is a man of war. And they got excited. Something happened. These were slaves. All they knew was, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. That's all they knew in the land of Egypt. That's all they knew. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. Oh, oh, oh I'm dad didn't mean to. I'll work harder. That's all they knew in the land of Egypt. They only knew a life of slavery. They didn't know anything else. They didn't know anything else. All of a sudden, when they came out of those waters and they saw the Egyptians dead on the shore, they said, oh, we can see something now. The Lord is a man of war. He has a war set before us. And they looked even further. And if you look at it in Exodus um, in Exodus 15, it says they looked and they said that, that all the nations, it actually says these words, that all the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, their hearts are already melting. They weren't able to see. They, at the Red Sea here, they weren't able to see anybody here. They were having a spiritual revelation into the realm of God and they could see already their hearts are melting. Now you might say, well, that was just a little bit, that's a little excessive. How did they know that? But if you go into the book of Joshua, when they sent spies to the house of Rahab. You know what Rahab told those spies? And this is 40 years later. Rahab told those spies, they said, oh, we were, for 40 years we've been waiting for these, this day. Ever since you crossed the Red Sea. You can see it, Joshua 2.10. Ever since, ever since you guys crossed the Red Sea, all of us here in Canaan are shaking and trembling. <laughs> They were trembling because of what God did with his people. You may think the enemy makes you afraid. I want you to know we're making him afraid today. Amen? We're making the enemy tremble. I want to say one more thing about this at, at Mount Sinai. Is that really, this was supposed to be the last stopping point before going to Canaan. They were supposed to go boom, boom, like that. How many know they didn't go straight into Canaan? That wasn't God's plan. The Israelites missed it. Now, I want to say, first of all, that, that God brought them to Horeb to make Horeb or, or Mount Sinai, alternate names for the same place. God brought them to Mount Sinai to, make, to bring his people into a covenant relationship with him. Deuteronomy 5 verse 2 says that. And I want us to read in Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6. Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6. And we can stay in Exodus 19 for a minute. Exodus 19, this is where, right there at the foot of Mount Sinai, God makes this 
declaration to his people. And this is powerful because, remember, this is a shadow. This is not, oh, that's nice for the Jews. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a wonderful story, and we'll teach that in Sunday school next week. No, no, no. This is a shadow for you and I. This is what God wants, okay? And, and when we see the reality, it becomes awesome in the New Testament. It says this in verse 5, now then, if you will indeed, this is God speaking to his people, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, which he was now making and establishing with him right there, he says, then, let's read this part together, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And verse 6 says this, and you shall be, read this with me, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Okay, now you need to understand something. God never even intended on a tribe of Levi being separated. He said, all of you are going to be a kingdom of priests. How many know that God has called you to be a king and a priest, a royal priesthood, a holy generation? That's what we belong to the Lord. We're a special treasure, it says in one translation. And so this took place at Mount Sinai. And then, if you look at verse 1, I just want to point out one more thought here from this slide. Um, at Exodus 19, verse 1, I want to show you when they came to Mount Sinai. And I want us to put something together, a puzzle piece together. Very beautiful to see this. One thing about shadows and types in the Bible, it does something when we get the understanding of this, when we can see these things laid out for us. First of all, we see, wow. God is eternal. He knew what he was going to do. It wasn't just an accident. I want you to say this with me. I'm not an accident. <laughs> I'm God's workmanship. And then, uh, but I want you to, another thing that studying types and shadows helps us to do is to learn God's language. God uses these things then by the Holy Spirit to speak to us. But in verse 1, it says this. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out that of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Here's what I want you to see. They came to Mount Sinai 50 days after the Passover. So what, right? <laughs> Just a bunch of numbers. No, no, no. Something else happened 50 days after a specific experience in the New Testament. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. Let me go back a little bit. Remember I told you on the 10th day of the month they had to pick the lamb? Well, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, it was around the 10th day of the month. And they began to test him. They began to ask him questions and challenge him. The religious leaders were testing him. And you know what their answer was? I find no fault in him. Guess what? They found the perfect lamb, didn't they? In fact, it's interesting what Pilate says. Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Crucify him. <laughs> That doesn't even make any sense, does it? But it does if you see it's a type and a shadow that Jesus is our Passover. Can you say amen to that? Amen. They didn't find any fault, on, fault in him. He was the perfect lamb. In fact, they couldn't even break his bones. Remember it says they didn't have to break his bones. They had to break the bones of the other two thieves, uh, the two uh, malefactors, because they weren't dead yet, but they didn't have to break Jesus' bones. And John says that's because the word of God says not a bone of him shall be broken. That's a, that's a prophecy way back in the book of Exodus about the Passover because what Paul says is true. Jesus is my Passover lamb. Can you say that with me? Jesus is my Passover lamb. Hallelujah. 
50 days after Christ rose from the dead, on the very day. What I want to show you is this, that it was on the day of Pentecost that was exactly 50 days. That's what Penta stands for, 50. 50 days after Passover. Luke 24, look what Jesus says here. This is on the PowerPoint. Uh, actually, you can just, uh, if you want to just use the PowerPoint for the, at this point. I, I got excited. I had to write the verses out myself this time. <laughs> oh, this is, uh, how many of you love the Bible? Oh, my goodness. It hasn't gotten old for me. I don't know if it has for you. I'm still excited about these things. Okay, Luke 24, 49, it says this. Let's read it together. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. They couldn't go anywhere else. Now, the disciples had already experienced the power of God. They were casting out demons. Last week when Pastor Dennis was talking about, I was at Thomas and... and, uh, I forget who, Thomas and James, or he was talking about, and how they were, they went to this, they only had one message. They would go to the cities and say, the kingdom of God is coming. And people would say, well, what's that mean? All they knew was, it was Jesus. He's here. And the people said, well, tell us more. These disciples, they weren't educated. They hadn't gone to college. They hadn't gone to seminary. They hadn't gone through Bible school. They didn't know nothing about even the scriptures. In fact, the Bible says they didn't even know how to read. But they went out, and they said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is here, the Messiah. And then they begin to heal the sick, and that's all they needed to see. Oh, we need miracles again. Yes. We need to believe that God can do that. Oh, I, I, last week, I, when he was sharing that part, I wanted to jump out of my seat and start laying hands on myself and everybody else. And I just feel the power. You feel the manifestation of this, of this power. God wants to do that. And not just in here, but wherever we're at, whatever we're doing. Okay, so he said, you have to go to Jerusalem. You can't do anything else. Even though you've experienced uh, the anointing, you experienced miracles. Okay, now you've got to wait because something else is necessary. Okay, you have to be clothed with power from on high. Go to Acts, go to the next screen. Um, Acts 1 is the next screen on there. And it says this. To these, Acts 1, verse 3 to 5, to these he also presented himself alive and appearing to them over a period of how many days? 40 days, and speaking to them of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, and read this part with me, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from These disciples knew their names were in the book of heaven. Jesus said, he told them, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. These disciples knew the anointing. They knew the, the moving of the Spirit, but this was something different. The baptism in the Holy Spirit that took place on the day of Pentecost. If you go with me to the, to the next slide real quick, Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. How many Pentecostals do we have here today? Okay, read these verses with me then, okay? I mean, this, I mean, this is like standard, you know, dogma for our church or something, right? Okay, Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat down upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Oh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Those disciples had no idea. They had no idea what was going to happen, but when it happened, they knew it. They knew something different happened and something changed in their lives. Peter, who, you know, he, he got up and spoke. And look at the, the next slide shows the things he said when he was explaining. Because people were saying, what meaneth this? What is this all about? Peter says this. Acts uh, 2, verse 32 and 33. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he hath poured forth this, which you both see and hear. And then the people ask him, the next slide, the people ask him, what what should we do? What do you want us to do? I mean, they, they could tell something had happened. The kingdom had come in power. They were experiencing the manifestation of the kingdom right there. And the people's hearts were pricked. Isn't it different when you talk, witness to somebody who's asked you first, how many have experienced that? Where someone said, hey, what's different about you? Hey, what, what is that on your life right now? That, 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 I want to know. Tell me about it. How many long for a life like that where people just are knocking at your door? Can you please tell me what you got so I can get it? Nice, and we'll say, yeah, come on in. We'll tell you all about it. We'll take out our map and show them the drawings. And, okay. Acts 2, 38 and 39, Peter said unto them, repent each of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And read this part with me. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Now the topic Pastor Dennis gave me to give is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, the, the work of the Holy Spirit which begins at this experience. And I want to just quickly, I'm going to give you a little doctrine class. I'm going to see if I can do it in less than four minutes, maybe three. Let's try it. First of all, with this PowerPoint slides, first of all, who is the Holy Spirit? Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as comforter. That word isn't the King James word. Other translations say helper, counselor, advocate. The word is actually parakletos, which means someone called alongside of you to help, aid, lead, direct, and assist. That's the Holy Spirit. He's my comforter. Can you say that? Comforter. Comforter. Helper. That's right. Next slide. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Very simple. He's the third. But I want to emphasize the word person. When someone says, the Holy Spirit's here. Don't you feel it? Uh-uh. Everybody go, uh-uh. <laughs> it's not an it. It's a he. He's a person. He will abide with you forever. Next screen. Holy Spirit has emotions. How many know God has emotions? Yes. Have you ever seen God smile? Oh, I had a vision once, and that's all I saw. I didn't see eyes or ears. I just saw a smile. Oh, I was on my face for couple hours just worshiping God, realizing, wow, God takes delight in us. God is full of emotion. It says he'll sing, in Zephaniah 3, he sings and rejoices. In fact, the the word actually used there, rejoice with joy, means that God is like this. Oh, he's like this dancing around and excited. Oh, I'm going to break the microphone and everything. God is emotional. He sings over, he rejoices over us. Well, the Holy Spirit also there's joy in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit can also feel grieved. 
Holy Spirit speaks, speaks. What does that sound like? If you look in the book of Revelations, we won't look there now, chapter two and chapter three, it's very interesting. It sounds like Jesus speaking, but if you read at the end, it says, let him have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. Because the Spirit doesn't speak of himself. He speaks whatever he hears. Just like Jesus, when he was here on the earth, he didn't, he didn't make up his, he wasn't just making it up as he went, you know. He, 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 he heard the Father speak. That's why he didn't answer some questions sometimes. I mean, I'm, I always like to try to answer someone's question. How many know Jesus didn't always do that? <laughs> he just left them hanging there sometimes because he only spoke what the Father told him to tell, to speak. The Holy Spirit's the same way. His voice sounds like Jesus, our, our bridegroom. Next screen. Who is, the, I mean, who is the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of truth who leads us into all truth. And we're not talking about doctrinal truth. Oh, part of that fits into it, I'm sure. Scripture and doctrine help us to understand truth, but truth is actually a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what does the Holy Spirit want to do? Oh, he wants us to fall in love with Jesus. Jesus says this. He says, the Spirit of truth comes. He'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. He'll glorify me. He'll take of mine and show it unto you. That's right. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 2, we won't look at it, but it says this, that eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, neither has entered into the heart of man, or the mind of man, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But the Spirit reveals those things, even the deep things of God. That's one of the greatest works of the Holy Spirit is to reveal God to us. I want to take you back to Mount Sinai on the next PowerPoint slide here. I want to show you some parallels here with this experience of the Holy Spirit filling us and what took place on the day of Mount Sinai. When they, first of all, God entered into a covenant with his people. You read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 7. He says, I'm taking you to a land where there are seven nations greater and mightier than you. You don't have a chance. But guess what? I'm making a covenant with you and I'm going to go before you. You'll defeat them and I'll be there to help you. It's interesting to read that. He says, on, in chapter 7, he talks about that covenant that he made. You know, you really can't know the Lord without entering into a covenant relationship. Let me put it like this. How many know that you don't really know that before you got married, you didn't really know your husband until after you married him? Anybody agree with me? Or wives, husbands, you didn't really know, you didn't know your wife until you married her, did you? You thought you did. But how many, there's something that happens at marriage, everything changes. What is, what is that? <laughs> Gotta give a kiss. Is it a good thing? Mm. <laughs> Some things just get better. Some things just get better. In fact, when Jesus visits the wedding, he makes the wine at the end better than it was in the beginning, right? But you know, you don't really know someone until you're entered into a covenant relationship. And just studying what's in this covenant that God has made with us brings us into that relationship with him. So don't just be dating Jesus. 
get married to him. Amen. Amen? All right. The next thing I want to point out is, uh, next slide, three important points. I want to say this really quickly. God, at Mount Sinai, he made a sanctuary. He said, let, in the Exodus 25, let them build me a sanctuary that I can dwell with them. We become temples of the Holy Spirit. The church becomes a dwelling place. In fact, that's the next point. He gave in specific instructions on how to build the tabernacle, which is a picture of the church. So many chapters in Exodus about the tabernacle. It's got to be important. What do you think? All those instructions. I, I don't know about you, but I've looked at those instructions. Now, I know I can never build. Maybe, maybe Bob the builder could put that tabernacle together the right way, but I look at those instructions and I can't figure out. Not enough detail for me. I would never, I'd have to have a, a, a YouTube video to follow or something, you know. But the, the fact is, is that he gave specific instructions and then he also anointed people with wisdom to do the work. Third thing, he, oh, this is powerful. We heard even through prophecy this morning. He took a bunch of slave-minded people and turned them into an army. He taught them how to march, numbers one through 10. All right, but my most important point I want to bring you to right now, at least the point I feel to, to hit a few more taps on that nail, is the next slide. God wrote the 10 commandments with his finger. Quick little thing here. Matthew 12, Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. And in Luke, or it could be the other way around, in Luke, Jesus says the same thing, but instead of saying the Spirit of God, he says this, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. I'd like to present to you today that the Holy Spirit is the finger of God. How many have his fingerprints all over you? <laughs> we should do some dusting and make sure we actually have those fingerprints. The finger of God. And here's what happens here. It says this, that in 2 Corinthians 3, it's comparing that very experience about Moses going up. And, and, and let me just, first of all, how many have seen the Ten Commandments? Okay, we're going, I'm, going, I'm going to take you there in just a minute. I think we have popcorn we can bring down in the whole thing here. But listen, the, in the Ten Commandments, I don't know why they do this, uh, Hollywood and movie making, they, 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 why can't they just stick to the Bible? I don't know. I saw some story about Noah and the ark that some, some producer made, and while Noah's in his boat floating around, all of a sudden here comes Lot in another boat. <laughs> and you know what Lot was carrying around with him? His wife's finger. He had broken off, you know. Remember his wife turned to a pillar of salt, so he carried that with him, you know. Where do they get those ideas from? I, not even, it doesn't even fit. You know, it's pizza dreams or something. I don't know what that is. But the Ten Commandments, is, it's a beautiful movie. And back in 1956, there was a lot of technology they used to make that. Charlton Heston, the whole thing. But they didn't get it quite right. First of all, like we already mentioned, God never intended on giving the Israelites Ten Commandments on tables of stone. He never intended that. That was not what God was doing at Mount Sinai. Get that out of our minds today. God did not intend on giving written laws to the Israelites. The only reason why he did it is because they didn't want to hear him speak. We read in Exodus 19, God says, Obey my voice, not read my, my laws. 
Obey my voice. Enter into a covenant with me. That's what God wanted. But they said, no, Moses. In fact, I want you to understand, God spoke the Ten Commandments from the mountain in Exodus 19. The two tables of stone were not even given to Moses until Exodus 31. Go figure how Hollywood can twist it all around like that. Here's the important point. I mean, God knew all that was going to happen. That's all part of the plan. But that's not what was intended for them, but it is intended for us. He wants us to hear his voice. The other thing is Moses, uh, his face didn't glow when he came down after receiving the Ten Commandments. His face, it might have glowed, but it was red because he was angry. Because he had already broken all Ten Commandments, and he broke the two tables of stone. So his face didn't glow that time, but when he went back up the second time and prayed for the people, and then he said, God, please go with us. I, we don't just want a, an angel to go with us or just you know, a, a blessing or you know, good fortune or God saying to us good luck or something like that. We want you to go with us. And when he cried out, he says, Lord, I want to see your glory. Oh, God revealed himself. That's when Moses' face began to shine. He had to put a veil on because there was so much glory there. All that happens in Mount Sinai. And 2 Corinthians 3 says this, if that was glorious, this is even more glorious. They couldn't even see Moses. They couldn't even look at Moses. He had to put a, how do you do that? Let's see. Oh, you got a, I don't even have my, if I start crying, I'm going to have a problem here. Okay, there we go. Okay, they put a veil on his face like that. They couldn't even look at Moses. I don't know what, what he did, but they couldn't look at Moses because there was so much glory on his face. But 2 Corinthians 3 says, if that's how it was then, that was glorious. This New Testament stuff makes that look like trash compared to what God has. Oh, that's just dim and dull and empty compared to the glory that far exceeds that. Okay. It's powerful stuff. One more thing at Mount Sinai. When he came down with those two tables of stone and broke them, the people, the people, uh, you know, they, uh, Moses, God told Moses to, to, to slay the people that had been worshiping the golden calf and the whole thing. And Moses, the Levites came and they went out with their swords and so on. 3,000 people died at Mount Sinai. But on Pentecost, the antitype, you know how many people got saved? 3,000. The letter kills, that's what 2 Corinthians 3 says, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. All right, roll on. Thank you. 
witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet anything that is thy neighbor. I was thinking about that this week. I was just imagining it's not just the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, I think most of us have been pretty good at keeping those. When the Holy Spirit writes things on us, it's very specific, very personal. He writes things on our heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. When he comes to dwell inside of us, he writes things on our hearts. He writes things there. And what he's writing on on Bill might be different than what he's writing on Marietta or Bob. How many understand that? What he expects from us. What he requires from us. The new covenant is this. And if we could look, Hebrews 8, verse 10. If you could pull that up for me. Hebrews 8, verse 10. I want you to see something. God spoke in the Old Testament through Jeremiah and said, I'm going to make a new covenant. In that covenant, God says, I'm going to, in in several other places also, he's going to take out the heart of stone, I'm going to give him a heart of flesh, I'm going to put a new spirit within him, and I'm going to put my spirit within him. I'm going to cause him to walk in my ways, that's from Ezekiel. Here in Hebrews, which a lot of this is right in the book of Hebrews, but right in Hebrews 8, I want you to pay attention to these words. I want to show you how the Holy Spirit does this. Hebrews 8, verse 10. Read this with me, if you will. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now pay attention to what it says. I will put the laws in their minds. I will write them on their heart. Look at Hebrews 10, the next scripture here, Hebrews 10, verse 15 and 16. Listen to this. See if you see something different. Hebrews 10, 15 and 16. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their heart and on their mind will I write them. He switched it around, didn't he? Did you catch that? How many caught that? How many students are here? Did you catch that difference? Let me tell you the difference. Philippians 2, verse 13. God works in us by his spirit. Sometimes he just puts desires in your heart. 
and you don't even know why you feel like that. You just feel the Holy Spirit has impressed something upon you and it doesn't make sense even up here. But as you start doing what he put in your heart, God writes it little by little on your mind. At other times, the Holy Spirit puts something in your mind and you know it's true and you know you gotta do it, but guess what? Down here, it's not working too well. You don't feel like doing it. But guess what? The Holy Spirit's got you covered there too because he'll write it. As long as you let this get put there, he'll write it upon your heart. Read this verse with me. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now I'm just going to jump. I got five. Give me five more minutes to share something really quick with you. And I want you to understand something. At the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when the the disciples were baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, something happened. Fire was wonderful. That didn't always happen, but something did happen. They began to speak with other tongues. And this might be something that we've gotten maybe, maybe used to. Speaking in tongues and not thinking, well, you know, you know what, what's it doing for me? Sometimes we've got to stir up our minds and stir up our heart. There is power in that little gift the Holy Spirit gives. And I want to share with you today, if you have not experienced that outflow of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, you know what? Today could be your day to receive. Oh, I've been praying. Oh, to be filled with the Spirit, to know that flow. Jesus said, he that is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Oh, as far as I'm concerned, that's speaking in tongues. I won't quote that as doctrine, but that's speaking in tongues for me because that's what I've experienced. Before I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, before I began, uh, that that flow began, it was like I had a well there and I could draw water out of the, it was was wonderful water to draw out and I could draw water out, but at the baptism in the Holy Spirit, it became rivers. Can we just play in one little clip? 1970s. 1976, I heard an awesome little uh, cassette tape back in those days. A man by the name of Bob Mumford. How many have ever heard of Bob Mumford? Bob Mumford, he is 83 today. And uh, this little tape I've listened to so much, but there's one part of it, just one minute, I want you to hear this. Listen to what he says about speaking in tongues. The name, name of this message is The Value and Place of Speaking in Tongues. Listen to this. Go ahead, Now, I've looked for a long time for one of Paul's secrets. You know, every every young theology student, seminary student, always looks for Paul's secrets. One day, I think I found a little bit of one of Paul's secrets. I think I found it in the New Testament, and it says this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Now, I'm saying to you that this is one of the key secrets of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle had something that grew them. I used to say, God, what is it that that man had that would permit him to be stoned 
and rise up again and go back into the same town. Lord said, I'll tell you what he had. He understood praying in tongues. He not only preached it, but he practiced it. He said, I thank God that I pray in tongues, speak in tongues more than you all, because when you're praying in tongues, your whole spirit is upbuilt and you're full of vitality. People say, oh, Brother Mumford, I'd like, oh, you've got such a wonderful spirit. I said, how you? know where I got it? Speaking in tongues for two hours, come to the meeting. <laughs> Just praying, praying, praying in the spirit, praying in the spirit. Let that thing run. I'm going to say amen. Thank you. Beautiful experience. Necessary for our journey. In the PowerPoint, real quickly, I just want to show you first of all, why tongues? It's a love language of prayer and worship. How many husbands and wives have special little language you use with each other? Nobody else would understand it, right? Yeah, with Jesus. And look at this. If I pray in an unknown tongue, read this with me. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit. And I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit. And I will sing with the understanding also. When I got baptized in water in Ken Garman's swimming pool, which is now a flower bed, I understand right now. But um, I was baptized. And when I came out of the waters, I began speaking in tongues. And the, the, the pastor that baptized me said, let's go to our house. I went to the house. He said, we're going to do something. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. I said, okay, I know that song. But we're going to sing it in tongues, he said. I said, are you allowed to do that? <laughs> oh, we, we sang one verse of Amazing Grace, and then we went off in tongues, and oh, my. You can sing it forever. All oh, the verses the Holy Spirit makes up when you sing it in that language. I know what Paul means when he says, I thank God. I, he wasn't boasting about something he had that no one else had. He was encouraging them to use what was offered for them. Say it with me. I thank my God. I speak in tongues. More than y'all. Yeah, yeah. Next one. It's an intercession, intercession and prayer power. You know the verse. He helps us to intercede. Next one. Spiritual edification. He that speaks in unknown tongues edifies himself. I'm going to finish with this today. Today, the Holy Spirit has already been given. We don't need to ask God to give it to us. He's already given the Holy Spirit. In fact, when they went down, when John and Peter went down to Samaria to pray for the ones that Philip had evangelized, because the Bible says they had believed and they had been baptized, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit hadn't fallen on them yet. So it says that when they went down there in Acts 8, they prayed, and listen how they prayed. It says this in Acts 8. They prayed that they might be able to receive the Holy Spirit. They weren't begging God to give them something. God already gave it on the day of Pentecost. It's a gift. It's a gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And then later on, Paul got so excited, he found some disciples in Ephesus, and he knew they were believers. They were talking a lot of wonderful things. And he said, wait a minute, guys. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, we didn't even know about that part of it. We didn't even know there was such a thing as a Holy Ghost He says, okay, he baptized them. They came out of the waters. He laid hands on them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Oh, God wants to build us up. There are things in this land over here 
that we need to face. We got to do it as a church. We got to do it together. There's things that only work as a church. You can have your own personal, individual Christian life, but if you want to be in Canaan, you got to go in as an army. You got to go in together. And there's things we do together there. No place for the independent Christian in the land of Canaan. We need the Holy Spirit to join us together. If at the Tower of Babel, uh, languages separated people, perhaps that's one of the concepts in speaking in tongues. God wants to bring us back together to make us one for a purpose that's going to glorify him. Can you say amen? Let's all stand. I just want to finish with a song. And I'm going to try to play. Holy Spirit, rain down. Holy Spirit, rain down. Tell him now. Rain down. Comforter and friend. How we need your touch again. Holy Spirit, rain down. Rain down. Rain down. Okay, come on. Your powerful let your voice be heard come and change our hearts as we stand on your word holy spirit rain down no eye has seen no eye has seen no eye has heard no mind can know what God has in store, so open up heaven, open it wide, over your church and over our lives, Holy Spirit, rain down, rain down, oh and friend how we need your touch again Holy Spirit rain down rain down let your power fall let your voice be heard come and change our hearts as we stand on your word, Holy Spirit, rain down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Another place he said this. If, we, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, oh, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? All you got to do is ask.
It's the Holy Spirit. Not only that there would be a thirst in this place, but our lives would make other people thirsty. And they would come to us and say, What meaneth this? And we can say, This is that. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Come and get some. Oh, there's more than enough. He gives the Holy Spirit without measure, the Bible says. It's one thing to have a well inside of you. But boy, when that well springs up into living waters and flows out of you, what a wonderful experience that is. Singing in tongues, praying in the Spirit, singing in the Spirit. What a wonderful gift. And thank you for the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in us. Right now, put your hand over your heart. Put your hand over your heart and on purpose, speak to the Holy Spirit and say, finger of God, right on me. I think there's some things God's been speaking to certain people. And maybe you just don't feel that desire inside. You wonder, I, I just I don't feel like doing that. I know I'm supposed to, but I don't feel like doing it. Say, Spirit of God, finger of God, just come and write it upon my heart. Can you picture him doing that? Not on tables of stone. Thank God we don't have stony hearts. We have hearts of tender flesh, made tender by the oil and wine of the Holy Spirit. Take your hands and put them right on your foreheads and say, Holy Spirit, finger of God, write upon my mind. Maybe there's just a burning desire down in your heart and you know you want to do something, you just don't know how to do it. Holy Spirit, write upon my mind. Write upon my mind. Put your laws in my heart and write them upon my mind, Holy Spirit. Write upon my mind and put the laws in my heart. Work in me both to will and to do of thy good pleasure. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into our lives, not just as a resident, but as president. Not just to sit in some compartment, but we give you the wheel. We give you the rudder. That's what James says our tongue is. Our tongue is the rudder of that ship. Oh, when the Holy Spirit takes that. Seems like James indicates that he can maybe control the whole body as well. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Holy Spirit, come and overflow in our lives. Sing with me once again. Holy Spirit, rain down. my friend, how we need you. Oh, Holy Spirit, rain down, yes. Rain down. Let your power fall. Let your power fall. Let your voice be heard. Come and change our hearts. As we stand on your word, Holy 
Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the wonderful word that brings light for our path and it's a lamp to our feet. Lord, we are on a journey as a church and as individuals. Lord, I pray today for anyone here, Lord, that somehow may have just sat down. Maybe the journey seemed too difficult. Today, thank you for breathing fresh hope upon their lives. Help them to see, Lord, your covenant, your promise, great exceeding promises you're going to take us in. If you brought us out, Lord, you're more than able, more than able to take us in, Lord. Inspire them, Lord. Thank you for this journey, Lord. Thank you, Lord, as a church, pulling us together in the ranks that you have for us, Lord. Teach us to march in order. Show us, Lord. Help us to understand the trumpet when it sounds. Just like you taught your people, Israel, help us to hear those trumpets when they blow and teach us how to move at the moving of that Shekinah glory cloud as you lead us on to that promised land, Lord, as you lead us on into kingdom victories. We thank you for doing it, Lord. And give you all the praise, all the glory. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Comforter, friend, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.